Well, without further ado, let's, um, let's read together as we focus on the goodness and the help of our God, which has been ours over the past year and I trust will be ours in the coming year. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all uh, Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him, As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And The men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. Now, I want to draw your attention just to one verse at the very outset. It kind of provides a a theme verse for the entire sermon. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. There's a little uh, Christian school across the border, right outside of, of Linden. So as a crow flies, I don't know how far Linden is. Not far, you know. And there's a little Christian school there. It's called Ebenezer Christian School. If you ever drive on the guide south and you go through Linden, you'll see the school on your left side, not far after a little place where you buy ice cream, Headlane Dairy. And um, sometimes, sometimes I wonder, when, when people didn't grow up with the Bible, when they see this school called Ebenezer, must think, well, that's kind of a weird name, you know? But if you grew up with the Bible, then you kind of go, yeah, Ebenezer, uh, yeah, that, I, that's from the Bible. And then, and then we say, well, I forgot what it means, though. Well, now you, now you know what it means. It comes from this passage from 1 Samuel 7, 
Ebenezer means uh, stone of help. And what Samuel did, kids, I want you to think about this. I want you to put this in your head. Try to, sometimes when you hear the preacher preach, I want you to try to imagine things. And think about this man named Samuel. And the, the Israelites, our ancestors, the people of God, went to fight against the, the, what, um, a common enemy at the time, a popular enemy of the Israelites. You see them sprinkled throughout the Old Testament called the Philistines. The Philistines fought against the Israelites, and the Israelites were very afraid, but by the grace of God and the power of God, the Philistines were routed. That means they were, they were defeated and they were driven away. And Samuel didn't want this to fall on the dust heap of history and be forgotten. So what he did is he, he set up, he just, he, he set up this stone as a memorial stone to help the, the Israelites. Every time they looked at the stone, they'd be remembered, oh yeah, the, the Lord help us defeat the Philistines. He was really our help. You know? Now, think about this. Think about, kids, when, when, when Samuel set up, set up that stone, you have to wonder, and the Bible doesn't tell us, but you have to wonder, how big was that stone? And what did that stone look like? And how heavy was that stone? And all that? We, we don't know. But the main thing that we need to know from the Bible standpoint is that it's a memorial. That means it's, it's something that when you look at it, you're going to remember something. It reminds me of another stone that was set up uh, at the entrance of a college campus where my father taught for many, many years, a place called Dort College in the state of Iowa, now known as Dort University. And it was a stone that was quarried in another state. I believe it was in the state of Minnesota, just north of Iowa. And it was actually transported by a truck to the college campus. And I, I can still envision it today. It's a kind of a, a stone about like this big, and it's, it's reddish, and it's like slanted toward the top. And then there's a... Um, there's a plaque on it that says, Door College Instituted, 1955. And when that college started, it started with just a few professors and just a few students and a lot of people outside of this farming community of Iowa that basically these, these farmers just literally gave their dimes and nickels to this college, you know. They didn't have big benefactors. I mean, these are hardworking and really not that wealthy people, but they believed in Christian education. So they set up this college... And people in other states that were connected with the, deno the denomination of the college kind of looked down. They poo-pooed that college, and they thought, well, everybody's wondering, you know, oh, I wonder if this small farm community, Iowa College, is going to get off the ground. And, and as the story goes, true story, there was a, um, a seminary professor in another state, part of denominational seminary, who knew the college president, whose name was Bernie Hahn. And at one point, the this, this seminary professor said, somewhat in a condescending tone, so, uh, Bernie, how's that little college there in Iowa that you started? How's that doing? And Bernie said this, and he had a way with words. He said, well, you know, when you, when you plant a little tree, and every wind blows on it, and every dog lifts its leg on it, and the tree survives, you know it's going to be a good tree. Oh, come on, that's funny. No, that was great. That was, a, that, was a, that was a wonderful response from this college president. And it was a fitting response because it was a way of saying to the college's constituents and all the people who put their dimes and nickels into this thing, you know what? The Lord will bless this as long as we proceed in faith, in obedience. He's promised to be our helper. And that's why they put the stone there, a memorial stone. 
We look at that memorial stone now for our sakes, to be reminded of the fact that, you know what, the Lord blessed us in the past year. He promises, as we proceed in faith and obedience, he says, this, this, is, this is not something they're going to go, oh, I wonder if he's going to help. He says, I promise you to help. I promise. We see that in this passage, elsewhere throughout the Bible, but this passage. Let's, let's take a, a, a little bit of time just to, to open it up. We find ourselves in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel, you go, like, who is Samuel? Samuel was a prophet. Samuel was a priest. And Samuel was, uh, and it mentions that word a couple times in this passage, he was a judge. You know what the Bible means by a judge? A judge is different than a king. A judge is like a, almost like a temporary king, in a way. Um, uh, a temporary ruler. And in the Bible, judges were given to God's people when they, when they cried out for help, and then God would give them a judge. He would give them a temporary deliverer, and then that judge would help them, and everything would be fine, and then they fall back into their old sins, you know, and then they cry out to God, and God would send another deliverer. And so Samuel is the last judge in a series of many judges that we find especially recorded in the book of Judges. So when you think of First Samuel, go back one book to the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, the very first thing we read in the book of Ruth is that the book of Ruth occurred historically during the time of the judges. And then before the book of Ruth, you find this, this rather extensive book called the book of Judges that spans 335 years. And if you know anything, if you grew up with the Bible, you know that the book of Judges is a really dark book. Because the book of Judges records the people of God in a state of apostasy and sometimes Kids and, and people new to the faith, they go, apostasy. I mean, who even uses that word today? But when, when we say people fell into apostasy, basically we're just saying they turned their backs on God. And they not want to follow God anymore. And so the people of Israel were in a state of apostasy, and because they were, God would try to awaken them by disciplining them. And sometimes very painful. Sometimes in the context of civil war. Sometimes it was wars with other nations from without. In this case, it's the Philistines. So, here we go. we got the book of Judges, dark book, and then we got the book of Ruth, and then we have the beginning chapters of 1 Samuel. So, 1 Samuel is the very end of the time of the Judges, and here's the thing. you got to understand, it's still dark. It's still dark. And God is, is always constantly trying to get his people's attention. And a lot of time, even in our own lives, when, when we go through periods of spiritual dullness, or maybe even sin in our lives and we are distant from, we feel distant from God, God sometimes will bring a little bit of pain in our life to kind of wake us up, get us back to him, right? Well, that's what he was doing with the people of Israel. And the, and the, the, the instrument of pain were the Philistines. And the Philistines gathered together to fight against the Israelites and they fought against them. And if you go back a, a chapter or two, what you find is that when the Philistines fought against the Israelites, they, they, they gained victory over the, over the Israelites, and 4,000 Israelites died. Now, try to wrap your mind around that. 4,000. That's like a small town. I mean, imagine if in the news, um, overnight, 4,000 people died in Abbotsford. I mean, that, would be, that news would be all over the country. Indeed, all over the world, I think. 4,000. All right. Um, this terrified the Israelites, and... Another thing that terrified them is that sometime after that, the, the Philistines gathered themselves again to fight against the Israelites, and they went, to, they went to battle against the Israelites. The Israelites fought against them, but 
before I tell you what happened, I'm going to tell you this. Before the Israelites attacked for that second battle, the Israelites said to themselves, how are we going to win this battle? We were routed the first time. So they said to themselves, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a piece of holy furniture, we could call it, called the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God with his people. And they said to themselves, if we take the Ark of the Covenant into battle with us against the Philistines, then we will win. What do you think is going to happen? So you go into battle against the Philistines, this time, seven and a half times the number were killed. 30,000. 30,000. Now, wrap your head around that. That's like a small city. They're absolutely devastated. This was not a good situation that they were facing. So, what was really going on there? What was at stake? Here's what the Israelites had done. They thought that just by taking this Ark of the Covenant, they would win the battle. What do we call that? We call that superstition. Have you ever driven with someone um, from Roman Catholic background? I've done that a couple times. Where you're driving in the car with them, and you see a little statue in the dashboard. Have you ever seen that or ever ridden with someone like that? You know what that is? That's um, that's St. Christopher. You can Google that. St. Christopher, he's patron saint of protection. Now, there are, there are a lot of Catholics, I suppose there's a lot of Protestant Christians who call themselves Catholics or Protestants, but they're not, they really don't know the Bible well, they're not very committed to the church, they're kind of like a Christian in name only. But when you're driving that guy in the car, hey, he's, he's, he's good, because he's got little crest, the, the statue of St. Christopher, a medallion on it, or a medallion hanging from his rearview mirror, you know, he's got the patron saint of protection. That's exactly what's going on with the Israelites. So they got the Ark of the Covenant, they go, and they get, they, get, they get routed, even though they have the Ark of the Covenant. What's the problem? The problem is that they were living in a state of apostasy. They had turned their backs on God, and they become superstitious. And so instead of crying out to God for God to lead them into battle, we'll just take the Ark of the Covenant. What's the antidote to that? It's, so, <laughs> it's the same antidote that you find in the Bible all the time. It's, it's, it's called repentance. <laughs> it's repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is it's a number of things, but fundamentally it's coming clean with God. Understanding what you, who you are, studying what you've done, understanding what sin is, and, and asking God, confessing it and asking God for forgiveness. I mean, that's what they need. Fundamentally, they need repentance. So, we find in verses 3 and 4, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, all right, Here's what you need to do. If you return to the Lord with all your heart and you put away the foreign gods and the Astaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and then serve Him only, then this is what God will do. He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So, make up your minds. What are you going to do? And we read, so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Astaroth and they serve the Lord only. They put away their foreign gods. That was the cause of friction between themselves and God because God's a jealous God, right? So that's what we did. So as, as the story goes on, you get a sense from Samuel like, all right, that's a good beginning. Now here's what else I want you to do. I want you to go to a place called Mizpah, it's a place, and once you get to Mizpah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray, and I want you to fast as a, as a physical demonstration of your repentance. And then what I want you to do is I want you to verbally confess your sins before God. 
So they do four things. They already put away their foreign gods. What are they going to do? And that's exactly what they do. They pray, and then they fast, and then they cry out to God, and they simply say, what is it, verse uh, 6, I believe, yes. Then they say, it's very simple. They They didn't go on and on. They just said, Lord, we have sinned against you. That was the beginning of their awakening, of waking up. It was that simple, but also that hard. This is, this is what we call a sign of revival or spiritual awakening. When you, it's, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if you like church history or not, but church history is periodically... Um, periodically you're reading church history how there are periods of revival where God just basically wakes up his his people and always a demonstration of that awakening is where they where there's a profound recognition of their sin and there's a turning to the grace of God in Christ okay I'll give you I'll give you a brief example of that um, some of you may have heard uh, he was a Scottish pastor theologian his name is Robert Murray McShane he pastored a church in Scotland in the early 1800s, and everybody loved the, the pastor. You know, McShane died when he was only 29 years old, a young pastor, but his reputation preceded him as, as a young pastor. He's really um, quite unusual in terms of his godliness and in terms of his preaching ability and so on. And he pastored a rather large church in Dundee, Scotland, and very well-loved and very, very influential. The church was, was quite blessed under his ministry. Well, to make a long story short, he, he, he asked the leadership, he had a very deeply evangelistic heart, and he wanted to go to Palestine, which is what we know as Israel today, but the state of Israel was not started, right, if you know your history, until 1948. So before that was just known as Palestine, where Jews and Arabs lived side by side. And he had a deep burden, not only for Muslims, but especially for the Jews. And he, he knew the Hebrew language really well, too. And so he asked the leadership, I would like to go there for a few months and do some evangelism work, and they said, all right, go. Well, this is not like jumping on a plane. He had to go on a ship, right? No planes around at that time in the 1800s. So he got on the ship and he went, and when he left, everybody in the church thought, well, this is not going to be good. He's going to be gone a number of months, and the church is going to suffer, and yada, 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 right? So, well, what God does sometimes is he reminds the congregation that the church um, is not and never should be simply revolved around the pastor. It revolves around the gospel. So typical God, you know, um, McShane leaves, and then God calls an awakening to take place in the church, right? And they get this, they get this other pastor who comes in, and nobody thought he was going to do anything, but he preached the word. But here's the thing. When revival or awakening comes, God will use those regular means of prayer and preaching to do a wonderful work. So in a time of awakening, the Spirit comes down in a very powerful way, and what happens is that People come to grips really with who they are, not who they pretend to be, but who they are, and they come to profound recognition of their need for forgiveness and their need to come clean with God and to grow and to be formed in Christ, and that's exactly what happened. And McShane heard about that, and he thought, oh, I wonder what's going to happen when I get back, and he gets back, and it's precisely what he witnessed in the congregation, and this this is what he wrote. He said, in the midst of preaching... When he came back to the church, 
He said, I have heard a half-suppressed sigh rising from many a heart, and I have seen many bathed in tears. At other times, I have heard loud sobbing in many parts of the church while a deep solemnity pervaded the whole audience. Have you ever, ever been in a church where not one person was weeping, but many, many people were weeping over their sins and crying out to God? You know when that happens, something special is taking place, and it was the descent of the Spirit upon the people of God. That, in part, is what we see here. We see an awakening among the people of God. They pray. I mean, remember, it hadn't been that long ago when they were just running in a completely different direction. But they prayed, and they fasted, and they confessed, and they came clean with God, and they said, we, Lord, we have sinned against you. That's good news. Okay? Now, you start drawing to the end of the story Meanwhile, the story continues. Remember, they're at a place called Mizpah when this all happens, and the Philistines catch wind that they're at Mizpah. So they're going, all right, let's finish them off. We're going to fight against the Israelites again. So they gather the forces together. Did you get that when we were reading? Like the Israelites, it says they were afraid. I, I, I bet they were terrified, right? Because they knew what happened. They lost 4,000, and then they lost 20,000, and they must have wondered, are we going to be completely wiped out this time? So the Israelites gather together, and so, Israelites, what are you going to do? You take the Ark of the Covenant back into, worship, or into battle again? They knew better. So what they did is they did the only thing that they could do, and they cried out to Samuel, and they said to him, intercede for us. Samuel, intercede. Samuel, pray for us. Now, bear in mind, and this is a proper way of reading the Old Testament, that when you see certain prophets, priests, and kings, you have to realize that they are foreshadows of the coming Jesus. Jesus was a prophet, priest, and king. When you see prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament, you see that either by their lives they reflected the coming of Christ or they were the opposite of the coming Christ. But Samuel here is a godly man, and they cry out to him. It's just like you and I in the midst of our own sins or our own need or our cries for help. We cry out we cry out to Jesus. We know that we pray to the Father, but we pray through the mediator, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he is our intercessor, right? So we get a foretaste of what we're called to do in this passage. So they cry out to Samuel, and they say, Samuel, you pray, and, and, and we want you to bring our prayer before God. And that's exactly what he did. And what happened? We read how God himself routed the Philistines, terrified them. They went, and then the Israelites, they cleaned house. So, so it's, not like, it's not like Samuel said, God will be with us, and then the Israelites fought, and God was with them. No, God routed the Philistines before them, and then it was a cleanup operation after that, and it says, then the Israelites routed the Philistines, and it was peace after that, and even had peace with another warring nation called the Amorites. It's always good. It's always good when we turn to the Lord, and he provides us help, like the book of Ephesians says, sometimes beyond our expectations. Samuel realized that this could not be something that was forgotten. So he sets up this stone, and, he, and, and it's called Ebenezer, stone of help. Or it can also be translated in the Hebrew, stone of our helper. 
And that's why I started the service this afternoon with Psalm 121. I will look up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the name of the Lord, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The Lord is our helper. So, with that having been said, I want to draw to a close. Listen, we, we may not have a stone in front of this gym as part of our worship place. We may not have stones in front of our house that we call memorial stones. But listen, we do have this service, and I'd like to think we, we could call it a memorial service, not just a Sunday worship service, but a memorial service, whereby we remember how the Lord has provided in the past year and how he promises to provide in the coming year. Now, I know for um, a, a number of us, it has not, it's been, for a number of us, I think it's been a good year. And maybe it would have been good before this worship service, like we did in our Thanksgiving service, to stand up and say, how's the Lord been your help in the coming year? I think we would have a number of stories. And some of the stories would have been really good. Um, the Lord blessed me, and that's how he helped me, and others, you know, I don't know, broken ankle. You know, I, uh, uh, some of us, of have been in the hospital. I uh, think of, you know, Dan Wright falling, visiting him in the hospital, you know, and I think of Joy and myself and all the rigmarole we had to get through just to get across the border, and man, we didn't even, we didn't know how that was all going to go, and then we think of all what happened in the Sumas Prairie. I said, I said to some people the other day, I mean, even with Joy and me, I said, we came here when it was 100 degrees and smoke, you couldn't even see the hills around here, you know? And then we got driven out of the Sumas Prairie, the flood. You know, if that's not enough, then we get the blizzard, you know, the past week, whatever. But it's all good. It's all good. I mean, and our story is your story over the past, um, over the past year. So, you know, brothers and sisters, you know, the simple point, this is not a deeply doctrinal or theological point, but the point is, is that no matter providentially what we receive, the Lord promises that when we rely upon him and we trust him, as Jesus says, um, I do not leave you as orphans. He said that to his disciples before he went into heaven. He said, listen, you need to understand, I will not leave you as orphans. But I will send my spirit to you, and he will be in you, and he be with you forever. You, you can't get any better news than that. Now, just one final thing, and that is this. You know, Notice that when Samuel set up a stone, listen to what he says. He called the stone Ebenezer, meaning um, the stone of help or the stone of our helper. And then Samuel said, till now the Lord has helped us. Which is a way of saying to the people of Israel who had just routed the Philistines, the Lord up to this point has helped us. But the fact is, he has always helped us. When he delivered you from Egypt, he supplied what you need in the wilderness. And when you entered into the promised land, when you lived in faith and obedience before him, he drove out the nations before you. He's given you bread. He's given you water. He's given you victories. On and on it goes. Up to this point, he's done all of that. Now, think about this. The implication with the words of Samuel is this. He says, up to this point, the Lord has helped you. What's the implication of those words? From this point on. He will also help you. Because the Lord doesn't abandon his own. And that's what we take, um, this is what we take hold of in this first service of this year. The Lord has helped us up to this point. And he's helped up, if he's helped us up to this point, 
what is he going to do? Is he suddenly going to stop and say, you know, there's a terminus here. There's an end point to my grace and my goodness and my health. Yeah, you just need to understand that. That's not how God works. I lead you up to this point, and also as you continue on, trusting me, I will help you into the future. Even as our own catechism says, there's nothing in all of created reality, body and soul, life or death, that shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's all I want to say. That's all you need to know. And it's all you need to believe. And in just a moment, we're going to sing, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And when we sing it, I want you to notice stanza two, because you're going to see that word Ebenezer that we sing together. Think about those words as you sing them. As I oftentimes say, yeah, there's always so much more that could be said, but enough for now. Let's come to the Lord and let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank you that you are a helper. You are God of grace and provision. And again, we think of the words of Jesus to us, whereby he said um, that as long as we seek first the kingdom of God, all things, all things will be given to us. And as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, that Lord, through your power in us, you oftentimes give us beyond, beyond what we ask or imagine. Well, Lord, give us the faith to believe that as well. Give us faith, give us obedience, give us a love for one another, give us a love for this city, and, oh, Lord, above all, give us a love for you and a trust, an abiding trust, that when we call out to you, you'll provide everything that we need. And we pray this again in Jesus' name. Amen.